Help, God. The bottom has fallen out from under me. What a, what a way to begin a chapter in the Bible. Uh, that's basically the beginning of Psalm chapter 130. Psalm, Psalms chapter 130. It says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. This is a, this is a real cry for help. Help, God, the bottom has fallen out from under me. And this points to a very important reality. We all suffer. Welcome back to another episode of More Than That. And as you might have guessed in this podcast episode, we are going to be discussing suffering and more specifically hope in suffering. As we begin to be as we begin to talk about this idea of suffering and hope in suffering, I want to recommend a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Basically what I'm going to share today it comes from that book. And he says in that book, to be human is to be in trouble. And I feel like most of us have, can resonate with that. We can agree with that. That it seems that a lot of times that we are in trouble or we are going through some sort of pain or suffering. But I want to I unpack this a little bit more because suffering really is more than pain. If you, if you think about it, yeah, suffering, it involves emotional or physical pain. But it also entails this awareness that our worth as humans, our worth as individuals is threatened. And it makes us wonder what people will think of us or that maybe we've lost our value in society. And we're really the only species or creatures that do this. Every, every living thing goes through pain in the sense that the nerve ends hurt. But as humans, we, we question our worth. We question where we belong in this world. We question how could it, when we go through that kind of, when we go through pain, we begin to wonder, what's it all about? And this is actually what Psalm 130 is talking about. And the thing I love about this is that when we, when the Psalm is speaking the reality of suffering out loud, it's giving dignity to suffering. And that's, that's a strange way to think about it, but usually in our society, we view suffering as an embarrassment. Or something that has to be hidden. Or maybe a, like a puzzle for a philosopher to solve. That's really the, the way the world views it. Especially American society. When, we're, when we suffer, we're viewed as a problem. And when we're viewed as a problem, there's a lot of well-intentioned people, people who come to see if they can fix the problem. But when we are maybe prove unable to be solved or that the suffering doesn't go away... Those same people usually turn away or they give up or they they forget about us. And this is really the society we live in. We're told that everything should be good. We're presented with the with a perfect American life or the perfect American dream. And on top of that, we're per, per, presented with the perfect Christian dream. We live in America where everything should go right. And we, we're Christians, which means our faith should make everything good. And this is actually the myth of suffering. The myth of suffering is that it should not be. And since it should not be, we devalue the actual experience of the people who are suffering. And so since it should not be when we do suffer, it must be because we don't have enough faith. Or maybe there's something seriously wrong with us because not everybody else is doing that. Nobody else is suffering. We're not supposed to suffer. So if you're suffering, there must be something wrong with you. 
And then when we, when we begin to believe this idea, we start to think that maybe I have to do something to re- regain God's graces. Maybe if I'm suffering, I have to change my attitude or my ways and that the blessings will come again. And in some cases, obviously, there, in some cases that might be true. It might be we have to change our ways in some way. We might have to do something differently. But we're not trying to regain God's grace. Our suffering doesn't separate us from God. This is, this is not what the psalm or the gospel presents. It is true that when we suffer, we feel like we lose the bottom out from under us. It feels like we're in this free fall. But what the psalm shows us is that we are not alone in that depth. If anything, we are closer to where Christ was on the cross. It's amazing. As deep as our pain digs, we still see further down that there hangs a man on a cross. The gospel does not hide suffering behind fake smiles. It does not view suffering as this lack of faith. It puts our pain, it puts our experience directly before God. And in that sense, it makes it real. And it makes it a reality that he too endured. In Christ, believe it or not, he did suffer. We see him sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's questioning, please God, take this cup. He's wondering if he'll make it through the experience. He's questioning who he is, if this is the right decision. Which is unbelievable to me because sometimes the accusation is made that, oh, God only gave up a weekend. He only gave up three days knowing he was going to be raised again. What's the, what's the sacrifice in that? And while not, while not everybody believes this, I think sometimes that, that same question can come up to the minds, the back of the minds of everybody, really. What was the need of the sacrifice? What was it all about? And I think it's important to show in very briefly the significance of what Christ did. I want us to think about it like this. The creator of the universe, who has all the power, came from the comfort of heaven. He came from living as spirit to this earth to live as flesh for 33 years to experience everything that we experience. That means the daily aches and pains. It means the tiredness. It means hunger. And that alone is something. For all of eternity, he hasn't experienced hunger. But he decides because of us, he's going to come down and he's going to experience what being hungry is for us. I mean, what kind of human would give up that kind of power? The kind of power that you can breathe stars into existence. And do that just in order to live the same life as another person. Let alone, let alone another person beneath them. Even, even the fact that someone of infinite knowledge even cares that we exist, that's something. I mean, think of, think of it like this too. Think of the best meals. Think of the most exciting experiences you could have. And that doesn't even begin to register on the scale of who God is. But he still chose to live as one of us. And even more than all of that, he, he chose to be mocked. What human king or president would ever allow the lowest person in society to mock them? But God was mocked. He was abused. He was betrayed. He was literally tortured. And at any moment, he could have made it all stop. That's the incredible part. It's one thing to get tortured, and you can't do anything about it. It's another thing to be tortured, 
when literally with one word it could all be gone. But he didn't do it. He he kept himself on that cross. And why did he do that? He did it for the salvation of our sins, yes, but he also did it so that when we suffer, we're not alone. When we suffer, we won't find emptiness. We find the one who brought our salvation. And this is the truth of Psalm 130. It shows that we can cry out to a personal God who has experienced more than we ever could experience. But he doesn't use that to make our pain seem less. He did it so he could be with us in the depths of our pain. He is not indifferent, uncaring, or condemning. In this psalm, interestingly, it, make, it mentions the name God or Lord eight times. And in each one, it's in the context of a forgiving and loving God. A God who is not embarrassed by us. Or says that if we believed more, if we had enough faith, then we wouldn't have problems. And this is really why Christians are able to live through suffering. Because the Bible shows us, Psalm 130 shows us that suffering is not ultimate. Meaning suffering is not the end. God is ultimate. Our redemption is the end. Our redemption is secured. He is a God that forgives and nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, can separate you from him. Not your guilt, not your pain, not your loneliness. As the risen Lord, as the risen Christ, he is with us there on the high points. That's true. And hanging on a cross, he is with with us in the depth of our pain, in the depth of our guilt. So, so far we have seen that Psalm 130 shows that suffering is real. And more than that, it shows that God is real. But uh, this doesn't mean that Christians are gluttons for pain. Or we're not, we're not masochists. And we're not, we're not made holier through suffering either. And God doesn't think more highly of us if we suffered more than somebody else. Psalm one, all Psalm 130 is doing is presenting it as a common human reality that everybody goes through. And in this reality, there is something for us to do. Verses 5 through 7 present our job in all of this. It reveals that we're supposed to watch and wait. It says we are called to hope. And in these verses, watching and waiting is compared to a watchman waiting for the morning to come. And in the book that I mentioned before, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson asked the question, what, is, what does a watchman really do when you really think about it? A watchman, he doesn't run the business. He doesn't run the company. He doesn't make important decisions about the stock market. They're not in charge of payroll. They're not making, in charge of making sure the product goes out on time. A watchman of his farm doesn't know if the harvest is good even. They don't worry if there are enough sheep that they're watching. All a watchman really does is is they move through the night working on their assigned task. Confident. They're confident that everything happening in the business is going as planned. All the gears are working. Everything is happening. The business is going as a success. That's all they know about the business. They trust that someone is working and doing all of that. And that's what hope for Christians is. Hope for Christians is going about our assigned task. 
what we're called to do. And we do this with the confidence that God is at work. God is running the business. God is in charge of the making sure everything goes out on time. God is in charge of all of that. We're just called to watch and to wait. And at this point, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. This sounds a little uh, fatalistic. It's just doing nothing. But it's not just doing nothing. Hope recognizes. Hope is the, is the action of recognizing who we are and who God is. <laughs> we are human. God is God. We, can, we can't change the rising of the sun even if we wanted to. Hope is a conviction. Hope is this conviction that God is working on what we cannot control. He's doing it. It's a recognition of who he is. And we're not sitting and doing nothing. We're doing what he called us to do. We're doing the assigned task that he gave us. We're watching. We're waiting. And even as I say this, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to understand the practice of this idea. Uh, right now, my fiance and I, we're, we're separated in different parts of the world. Uh, we're waiting for a visa that will allow us to get married. And honestly, it seems like it will probably never get here. And on top of that, uh, the virus is going, and that's kind of slowed everything down, and the approval of the visa seems uncertain. And for me right now, it, it's hard to see how it's possible to trust. It's hard to see how it's possible to watch, to go about daily tasks. When worry and anxiety, it just it wants to eat up my day. It wants to consume me. And honestly, it comes down to this. If when you really when when you really think about it, hope and despair, hope and anxiety, they're both just projections of the imagination. That's all it is. When we're when we when we have anxiety, when we're despairing, when we're worrying, we're imagining all the terrible things that could happen. We spend our time worrying and fixated on the countless obstacles and the problems. And this actually leads us to inaction, to this kind of stunned silence. And it usually causes us to give up completely. In reality, despair is fatalistic, not hope. It's this belief that nothing is good and nothing can ever possibly good. Hope is just a different use of the imagination. Hope is looking through the eyes of faith. We imagine the different ways God could work. And it leads us to this anticipation of God's miracle. And this doesn't remove the experience of suffering like we still said like I said before. I still miss my fiance. I still wonder every day if we're going to get approved for this visa. And each day, sometimes each second feels like an eternity. But when I practice hope, and I say that intentionally because hope is something that can be practiced. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, oh, maybe someday this could possibly happen. Hope is a practice that we do. I practice hope and it allows me to wait in anticipation. It allows me to think, oh, I wonder what kind of miracle God will pull off to bring us back together. And it helps me to move forward and not come to a standstill. That's, that's what hope does, and that's the truth of Psalm 130. Suffering is real, yes. More than that, God is real. What he has done is real. It is true that hope without the cross is just an insane illusion. Hope without God's promises, it is a delusion. It's a crutch. 
But because of God, my hope and your hope, it's a certainty. It's something that we can practice. Psalm 130 shows that the difference is not that some suffer and others don't. The difference is that some suffer differently than others. So I have a question for you today. The question is, how do you suffer? How do you suffer? We're called to suffer with our eyes on His grace. We're called to wait and to watch in anticipation for what He will do. When the bottom inevitably falls out, when it feels like you're in a free fall, when that happens, you're not separated from God. You're not falling away from God. He is with you in the depths of that. It is for us today to begin to practice the skills of waiting and watching. It's for us today to begin to practice hope. Once again, I just want to thank you so much for joining into another episode of More Than That. If you have any questions about the topic, if you have any questions for further, for further review, um, if there's any prayer requests that you have, feel free to reach out to me at the email address morethanthat66 at gmail.com. Once again, that's more than that, 66 at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you.